back to the show. This episode is me and Dan finishing up the Q&A for the late season. Um, questions that you guys put on the Facebook forum. Um, a lot of good information on this one. It's a little bit of a shorter episode, about uh, an hour long. So uh, a little bit of a bonus episode. I think we are going to start trying to do these a couple times a week from here on out. Um we really appreciate all the support and the growth that we've had over the, the last year, and that's because of you guys. So, with that being said, uh, go over to the YouTube channel. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. All that's in the description of this podcast episode. Also, leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. So, uh, with that, let's get right into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hey, everybody. How's it going, Dan? Uh, I'm still here. You shaved your, uh, you shaved. Yeah. <laughs> I think at this point, if I'd shave, people would lose their mind. That's what I, it's almost part of, uh, of me after, after the season and everything. So I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> it's summertime. It might get a little bit annoying, but anyway. Do you uh, go out deer hunting any last few days of muzzle? No, is it doe season, so I haven't been out. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Just got a uh, bunch of editing done, huh? Yeah, I was editing. Editing video. Editing yep. the mu- muzzleloader uh, hunt. When are you thinking that'll be up? Uh, hopefully tomorrow. Um but probably more likely in a few days. I got something coming up I got to do, so I don't know if I'm going to get it done. Yeah, you're going on vacation, aren't you? Family family get-together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did that yesterday with the in-laws. We had Christmas at the at my in-laws. So I got all that, uh, all that done, and we're back home. But uh, if you guys are new to the channel, you just ask some questions in the comments, uh, and we'll try to answer them at the end. This, this show... We're kind of going to finish up the last uh, handful of questions on late season stuff that you you guys asked on the Facebook form. But we got to talk about our news story before we we do that. And we kind of got a special guest um, uh, for for our news story. So this Uh, is going to extend the news story from last week, right? Yeah, yeah. Since last since our last show was just a few days ago, I figured we we had some better intel on that that story. Um, it was the the big big buck in Minnesota that was stuck in the river, and uh, um, the and you were actually able to get the the uh, fire chief on uh, who was uh, there working on the rescue, right? Yeah, yeah. We pulled some we pulled some tight strings. <laughs> we got <laughs> um, we got the the fire chief uh, that was actually on on scene there, and we'll just that's pretty uh, cool. It'd be interesting to hear his take on how long the deer was in the water and. All that How stuff, big yeah. Usually are in that area and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, because there was like a hundred questions about it uh, last week. I mean, you know, didn't know much about it other than the short article that was written about it. Um, yeah, it's a chief buyer. He's down here waiting on us to come in, so we'll just go ahead and add him. Hey, chief. How you doing? Good. How are you? For, how right are you off doing? the bat, I want to just say thanks for uh, all you do for everybody. Uh, always like. Uh, firefighters and police officers and stuff and really appreciate all you do for the community oh thank you very much much appreciated 
Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So kind of tell, tell us about what actually happened that day and kind of how the, that, uh, morning went for you guys. Cause from where I understood it was pretty early in the morning when you guys started getting calls about this deer in the river. Uh, yes. Um, I was just coming off a shift. My shift was ending at eight o'clock that morning and it was about 10 to eight. Uh, just took a phone call and it was from a concerned citizen that, uh, said he witnessed, uh, a deer, uh, that had, that was obviously had fallen through the ice and was, was struggling to, um, get out. And he just said, he goes, I don't know if it's something that you guys can deal with or not. Um, he goes, but I just wanted to let you know. And, uh, so I, I thanked him and then I said, you know, I said, I'm going to go down there and check it out. So, um, I hopped in, in the pickup and, and drove down there and took a look at it. And there was always, or there was already a couple, uh, uh, people that had pulled over and, and were looking at the deer in the river too. And I just kind of assessed the situation and thought, you know, he's in a, he's in a spot that we can get to him. Um, he appeared to be fairly played out. That was my other concern because he had a huge rack on him and, and I don't want anybody to get, you know, uh, hurt over trying to rescue a, a deer. And, um, but he, he appeared to be fairly played out. So I, I felt fairly safe if, if we were to uh, try to get him out of the ice. And, and we have equipment for this. You know, we, we have ice rescue suits. And um, this is something we practice. Matter of fact, this happened on a Monday. Um, our annual ice rescue training uh, was two days later in the river down behind the fire hall. We cut a big hole in the ice and we, and we train uh, for that. So the timing was kind of ironic. But, you could have just um, punched your box. You got your training. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, you know, we, I, I kind of just, I made the decision. I went back to the fire department and we uh, started calling guys in and, and getting a team together and getting the uh, equipment ready and uh, just went down there and, and um, pulled them out. It was fairly, fairly simple, fairly straightforward. And uh, one of the guys had a, had a toe strap um, that we actually kind of lassoed his horns with and uh, pulled them up onto the ice shelf got him out of the water up onto the ice shelf and let him sit there for a minute and he didn't do anything. So um, we grabbed him again and brought him up to the shoreline and, and up the bank right onto the edge of the woods. And I suppose it's a three, four foot embankment or something and got him up there. And um, he just sat there for not very long, maybe a minute or two. And, um, and then he decided to get up and, and he just walked away very, very slowly. So, yeah, this, yeah this, this is go ahead uh yeah Greg. i was going to say that video that you're showing that that was a couple of our volunteers that had shown up before um well while the equipment was on the way oh really yeah okay. yeah yeah you can sell it i mean i don't know if you guys i, I linked the uh the article uh in the in the description but you can it, it was a giant it was a big deer <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was, he was huge. Yeah. I, I stood right next to him and took a picture of him and, and uh, yeah, he was big and, you know, and that's what I'm saying. That, that was kind of our concern is, uh, you know, you, he's a wild animal and you just don't know what they're going to do. So. Now how, uh, there, there's a picture of him or a, a better up close of how big he was. How immobile yeah. was he? Like how long did he lay there like that? Um, exhausted. Yeah. You know what, once we got him to the wood line, uh, not very long, I'm going to say just a minute or two, and uh, he, he made his way to his feet. He was pretty wobbly, um, and then he just, he didn't run off by any means. He just walked off real slow and 
and uh, disappeared into the woods. You know, now yeah. I know a couple people that uh, rescued uh, deer caught in fences. And uh, in both cases, uh, the deer they rescued was found later dead. Um, but this one was actually seen later alive, right? Yeah, correct. There's, uh, there's footage, as I, I seen, it was probably like two days ago. Um, somebody posted footage of the same exact deer uh, coming through their backyard. And you could, you could visibly notice he had a little limp in his back leg. Hmm. But he was he was alive, so that was that was a good. good to you had to be excited to, to hear about that. Oh, absolutely, because you you, you, just, you don't know, you know. And so I I'm not a deer expert. I, I have no idea how long a deer can uh, survive in the water like that. Nobody really knows how long he'd been in there. Um, as of like just a few days ago. Uh, sorry, my pager's going off here, but it's just a test page, so. Um, as of a few days ago, um, I'd heard one report that somebody's seen him as early as uh, 20 after 7 in the water. So, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. He had been in there for a little while. I mean, they don't get that exhausted, you know, right away. Um, right. Hmm. Well, it sure would be a horrible way for it to go. It's glad you guys were around to uh, pull it out. Well, that's just it, you know, another quarter mile one way or the other, and maybe he wouldn't have gotten seen because um, uh, the area that he was at was a pretty heavily trafficked area in the morning. That bridge leads right to a, a elementary school, so a lot of people coming and going across that bridge. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So how does a deer uh, get that big? Is that like a uh, uh, an area where nobody hunts? Well, it's, it's pretty much right on the edge of town. So, you know, if, if you were going to hunt it, I, I would assume that it would have to be with a bow. You know, it's too close to town to hunt with a, any type of a rifle or anything like that. And that's probably why he's maybe lived as long as he has. Yeah, for sure. I was going to ask the same question about the area that he was living in. It sounds like people must hunt, though, because there's trail cameras and stuff around, you know. Um, yeah. Yep. So he was kind of a legend a little bit before this even happened. There was pictures of him all over Facebook and different social media sites, um, you know, with people catching him on their trail cameras or on their video surveillance or things of that nature, too. So he was kind of well known anyway, and he just happened to be the same one. With all the cameras and stuff nowadays, there's no buckets that big without people knowing about it anywhere. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, he was he was impressive animal. Like I said, I, I stood right next to him and took a picture of him, and I, I was like, "Wow, it was it was he was pretty nice." Yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, Chief Byer, we really appreciate you getting on and and talking about it. And um, like Dan said, thanks for all you guys do over there. And um, you got anything you want to pitch or talk about before you you head off? Um, no, I guess not, not so much. I just, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate all the people that have reached out to us and, and, uh, all the positive feedback we've gotten for, you know, re rescuing this deer out of the, out of the river. And it's, uh, it's been a little overwhelming at times, but it's, it's neat <laughs> to, yeah. Which awesome. fire department you work for? Uh, what's that? What's the name of the fire department? Oh, it'd be uh, Thief River Falls Fire Department. We're in uh, we're in the northwest corner of Minnesota, home of the Articat snowmobiles and four wheelers, and yeah. 
Awesome. Uh, what's kind of neat is we got uh, 60 miles to the north of us. We have the Polaris plant. Awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we appreciate it, uh, Chief, and uh, you have a good rest of your shift. Hopefully it's a, a safe one. Thanks for coming yeah. on. Yeah. Appreciate no, it. No Thank problem. You. Yep. Thank you, yep. guys. Right. We appreciate it. All right. Well, that was cool. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's uh, um, looking at that video. I've only, I, I didn't really watch it beforehand, and I'm like, geez, when you see that thing laying there in the water, like, golly, it's a big deer. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's a nice one. Yeah, I bet they weren't expecting that when they walked up to it <laughs> to, to to see that. Um, anyway, you guys uh, ready to start the last session of the Q and A's here? We probably won't go quite as long tonight just because it's a Sunday night. Everybody's had to get up and, for Monday morning. Um, you guys can ask some questions in the comments too. We'll try to get to get to those. But all right, this is a question that uh, I have gotten a whole bunch actually just over the last year or so, and it got brought up on on this. It's not really pertaining to late season, but it's hunting in general. Um, they wanted to know our thoughts on killing a buck. Uh, on public sitting 20 yards or so off the fence line um, from the private. He said the deer would be shot on public, but possibly run over on private. What are, you, what are, you, what are your thoughts on like the ethics of that? <laughs> well, the ethics are fine. The morals are fine in my, in my opinion. Yeah. I think as a, as a hunter, you have to worry about what that deer is going to do. And you have to think about what that deer is going to do after you shoot it. If you believe it's going to get on that guy's property, and you don't believe you're going to have access to retrieve that deer, I'd probably think about getting a little further off the line. Um, but the public land, border to border, is yours to use. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you an interesting story, because there's a lot of arguments about that. Now, um, behind my place um, in Rome Marsh, um, I was hunting on a, a, a land border about 20 or 30 yards off of the border. Um where deer were coming out of the private land onto the public. Uh, the person who, who owned the land across from here, I don't know that they hunted, but the one adjacent to that land and their land border was about a hundred yards from me. They hunted um, and they were out and uh, they watched the show. They, uh, they would come on my website and they saw me. Uh, I shot a deer. And uh, they had a fit that I was hunting too close to their land border. And they went all over my uh, media and, and uh, complained about it, that uh, it's unethical and unmoral to hunt that close to somebody's land border. And what's interesting is they have stands right in the fence line. And I called them on that. I said, hey, you've got stands right in the fence line. So what's the, what's the difference? And they said, the difference is you're on public land. We're on private. We can hunt our, our private land however we want. You should stay on public land further away. I'm like, public land's my land. I own the public land. Every one of us does that hunts public land. Yeah. You're telling me I can't hunt my border next to yours, but you can. And they kept having a fit. And I just said, okay, you know what? Just going to make peace here and I'll back off. And you know what? I won't hunt over there no more. Sorry. You can have it. So... Um, I don't think it was even a month later, I get a whole bunch of blown up comments about it again, that they're watching me and they saw that I'm hunting on an island that's, I don't know, about 
800 yards, 900 yards from their land border. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And uh, that's too close. Yeah, that's when I said pound sand. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, basically, um, you can hunt public land from the line on in. Now, there's no ethics or morals that say you shouldn't. Now, ethically and morally, you have to decide inside of yourself, is that deer going to get back on that property? Because you're going to have to go over and ask for permission. They're going to ask where you hunted that it got onto their property. And if you don't know those people, you don't know how it's going to be reacted. And, and I know where I live, it's probably a flip of a coin whether or not somebody lets you go retrieve a deer off of their property. Literally 50% of the people tell me, no, you can't go get yeah. it. So I'm, I try to make sure it's not going to get over there. Um, so I try to stay back far enough. In some cases, uh, the way the deer are moving or something, sometimes it, you know, getting a little closer to that border or where you have a tree to hunt out of, um, it's, it's imperative that you get close to the border. But in a lot of cases, I know, if I shoot a deer in that position, it's going to run back into the swamp, not up into the farmland, and it's going to stay on public. Because most of the time, I'd be hunting deer on public going towards the private. Right. Generally, they're going to run back where they came from. I don't see any problem with hunting any spot you want that's on public land. It's public land. It's your land. Hunt where you want. Yep. Yeah, it's essentially if is is if, if you want the, uh, the headache of what, what the consequences could be of hunting right there, you know, whether you're right or wrong, it's still a pain in the butt whenever you have someone acting the way, you know, some people do. Yeah. We could uh, do a whole show on private land bullies. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Luckily here uh, in Southern Indiana, it's, it's a little bit different than up there. It, most people are pretty um, nice for lack of a better word. I mean, they're just, they don't, you know, if you shoot a deer that runs over, you remember land, that's probably the big be... thing I had for a comeback when I first hunted Indiana, it was, yeah. I was shocked at how nice people were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're not nice yep. here. Yep. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a good question. Cause it's something that every hunter, a public land hunter has to deal with or think about. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, some, some pieces of public, you know, some of them aren't big enough to really you know, you, there's a chance that a deer anywhere you shoot could run on some private. So, um, yeah, if you're worried about it, you maybe just go in beforehand. Like if you plan on hunting somewhere, go ask beforehand and then you can have a clear mind about it. You know, if it's something that you're, you know, really concerned about. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
All right. The only thing is, I do think that somebody is a little more tendency to um, say no if you ask him beforehand and say, ah, I don't want you going on my property whether you shoot one or not kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, um, probably you so. Up, I shot one. It got onto your property. Um, anybody with morals and ethics is going to say, well, okay, you can go track it or I'll, you know, like, like me on, uh, on Dave's property, I got a neighbor who just keeps hunting right on the fence line and it's their property. They can hunt there, mm -hmm. but, uh, whenever they shoot one, they're afraid to ask. So they sneak onto the property and walk through the bedding areas and stuff. And like it ruined my gun season this year. I was, I had a little bedding area there. I was holding up waiting for these, you know, a certain buck that I knew was going to bed there. And when I went in there to hunt, I saw like three deer and I was expecting to see like a dozen. And, uh, as it got lighter out, I could see tracks and you look in there here, they tracked when there's string tracker going through the property and it's like, okay. But if I knew that I wouldn't have wasted my opening morning there. Right. I wouldn't deny that they go track it. I don't like it because i've caught those guys several times trespassing and told them you have to ask before you access so i don't like the fact that they just came on there but if they asked me and they shot one i'm not going to deny them yeah but what i would right. do is i probably want to walk with them i want to mm -hmm. oh, you're gonna have to wait till i get there if i couldn't make it over there i'd tell them go ahead right but i don't know where they go i want to know what they do on my property right mm -hmm. so i mean it's yeah, understandable sure. but i would never deny somebody to track a deer because they're just shoot, they'll just shoot another one and it's a waste of an animal. Oh yeah, but that's I think most people are like me in that that regards. They don't necessarily want you on their property traipsing around, but they understand that animals run where they want, and you know right. you shot one, they want you to get it, and retrieve it. Yeah, and I'm sure if you'd shoot one and it run over on theirs, you'd want them to do the same thing. You know, I did. Um, I did witness something pretty unique once. Um, I saw, uh, now this isn't a shot deer. It's one that was hit by a car, but a car hit a deer in front of my old, my mom's old house out in Menominee Falls and it ran out into a field and died. And it was a pretty good sized buck. And I went down to look at it and, uh, um, the police back in those days used to have to write you a slip to take the deer. Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays we don't have that no more. But uh, they were writing a slip up for this person to take the deer that hit it with their car, and their car was had some significant damage. And the farmer came rolling down, and he said, uh, "You can't write a slip for them to take that deer. That's my property. They'd have to trespass to get it. It's my deer." So the cop called the the game warden, and the game warden came out. Some more cops came out, and they all had a discussion about it. And what they told the uh, this farmer was well you can deny them permission to go get the deer it's your property you can do that but you don't touch that deer either if that deer gets touched you don't have a permit for that deer and you can't get a permit for that deer um because this person was here was the one who hit it and then and then uh when put under pressure then the farmer backed down and gave it to the person that hit it um you know it's funny because if it was a doe probably nobody would have had an argument about it right but, right, but it was interesting how the law worked. You know, he couldn't touch that deer on his property. And the same thing if you shot one in Wisconsin and it runs on somebody's property, they can't just claim it if they know you shot it. They'd have to say they shot it in order to claim it. Right, right. Otherwise, they can't touch the deer. Yeah. Uh, 
this tire, tired redneck. He he said that uh, he's had a road allowance. He has a road allowance, and I've had guys hunt on a road allowance. Sorry, and shoot into the private we have permission on. He said my buck and my crosshairs get shot a while while I was contemplating a shot. Uh, yeah, that's that stuff like that is what like has probably made Wisconsin turn into like what Dan was saying. The landowners don't want people going on anymore. Or even if you did shoot it because of stupid stuff like that. Yeah. You definitely don't want to be shooting over lines if you're on public and all, you I know, mean, that's asking for, for trouble. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, there's all a right. difference between hunting near a border and hunting near a border, facing the, pri- the private property, looking onto it. Like, yeah. Right. Uh, We've had people over by Dave's that, that they're hunting the property line on the other side of it, but they've got a shooting line cut into our our food plot on our property. Well, obviously right. we're shooting onto our property. I can't prove it, but what I can do is go put something there so that they can't see onto the property or something in the way. But yeah, it's just a pain in the ass. Yeah, it's still not. It's not. Uh, it's not ethical, not moral. Right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. All right. Something else we got asked a lot about, and this is the second question, is uh, our thoughts on the second rut and how we would hunt it. Well, I got a whole video coming on. Now. That's what I was editing today. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah you want to so, elabor- elaborate on it, though? Yeah, sure. So, um, second rut, um, if you think about it, they go through cycles. So, the first rut in my area, now think about your own area is the last week of October, first week of November, kind of is when then you get the most action. And uh, it goes in monthly monthly uh, cycles, kind of. So um, the last week of uh, November, first week of December, we start getting them, them um, fawns going into heat and uh, those that didn't get bred going into heat. And there's even like a, like a third rut, you know, like uh, 30 days after that. So... In, in my eyes, it never really ends when it starts. So about, about uh, October 15th, they start showing rutting activity. And it goes all the way up until about mid-December when they start going into uh, survival mode and they start dropping their antlers. Once they drop their antlers, it's because their testosterone level has dropped so much. And then they don't, they're not breeding. Um, but before that, it's just pretty much continual rut. It's just a matter of it has its fluctuations. What I see with second rut is even when it gets intense, it's not as intense as the first rut because the bucks have been rutting. They've been running around. They've been chasing does. They've been breeding. And it's and it's kind of like not as exciting. And it's and they're kind of stressed out. And they kind of need a little food in them. You know, they're getting kind of lean. If you shoot one and, you know, after rut, you notice how there ain't much fat. They're pretty lean. Yeah. Um, so what I saw... Um, this year we had really good daylight activity throughout the whole rutting sequence. Um, it was a, an amazing year for that. Um, now, muzzleloader season, I hit that second rut pretty good. I had uh, a group of fawns, doe fawns, well, with does and stuff too, bedding in a certain spot on Dave's farm and coming through an open area and then heading off to crop fields. And um, I had a spot I could kind of get into kind of bulletproof on a south wind. And we had a lot of south winds and circle in from up to a fence line and climb a tree. And the idea of that is they're not going to come across the fence. They're going horizontal to me. So I could get in there anytime there's a south wind and 
um, with the muzzleloader reach out and touch him. So I watched a lot of activity. And what happened was the, the dauphins would come out and the bucks would bed in areas around these dauphins. When the dauphins would come out, they'd move to them. And uh, it, was a, it was a pretty good time. I mean, I didn't see any midday chasing. I didn't see any uh, cruising. I didn't see any right. of that stuff that you see early season. But what I did see was right at the edge of darkness and right in the, you know, in the morning and in the evening, right at the edge of darkness, the bucks would come to these fawns. And uh, if you were lucky, they'd come out early enough, if they were excited enough to, to give you a shot. Yeah, some people swear by that second rut. I mean, there's certain guys that just love hunting that time of year because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not a bad time to be be in the woods just like any other time of the year. Um, all right. Yeah, they're already starting to get on that uh, that bed food pattern. Yeah. You know, where, where they're uh, really in a pattern. You know, you know, where earlier in the year they kind of the pattern changes almost daily. Right. Like uh, for a week straight, I had those those fawns just doing the same thing, and then and then you could get a pattern going. So it was literally a better time and a better way to hunt than regular rut because I was patterning certain bucks on this pattern. Where usually in rut, you know, like early rut, bucks there a couple of days and gone. Right. Right. Um. Well, I have this uh question up here. Sean asked us if is is late season a good time to get permissions. And any change in strategies to do so? You, you know, um, anytime's a good time to get permission. <laughs> but yeah, right. Uh, um, I don't know that somebody wouldn't say yes. Early season would say yes. Late season, but I can tell you this: I can remember being on um, road trips, and one thing that worked for me well with getting permission would be to say that I'm not from here, and mm-hmm. I'm just passing through, and I'm never coming back, and I ain't. You know, I'm not getting on any yeah. deer. I'm seeing some deer on your property. I'm only going to be here a few days. It's late season. You guys are already done hunting. I'm just going to get in there for a couple of days and I'll be gone. Is there any way I can get in there? That's gotten yeah. me permission in a couple of times when you, you're kind of whiny like that. Nowadays, I just go in public and I hate asking permission. But yeah, but yeah, that worked for me back in the day. Yeah, I think uh, with permissions, I think the people that are going to give you permission are going to give you permission anytime. And the people that don't aren't you know are, they're not going to give you permission they're deer hunters or whatever and the, the funny thing is it's like a lot of farmers that own land that you're going to go ask they don't freaking pay attention to when deer season is or when it's not and all that you know they i mean they have a vague idea um but i don't think it's in the back of their mind all the time you know like it is ours well i've so, had people say well, i got somebody hunting there right now sure yeah but i, I meant i might say nobody's in there right now they only hunted early season go ahead yeah, you might that. it might work, but yeah. I don't think it's gonna be much better. No, I think I think if they're gonna give you permission, they're probably going to anyways. And I'm not telling you not to ask because I think you still you could still ask, but uh anyway, that's just my two cents. And I I feel like I'm pretty good at getting permission places. Uh but anyway, it's all it doesn't hurt to ask. The last what least they're gonna say is no. Um all right. Anyway, let's go to question three here. Will deer gravitate toward red oaks if there is little to no snow in the ground, or is there usual usually a more preferred food source? I guess I wanted to just touch on like the red oaks and that kind of stuff. Um, it's probably a better question for you because the yeah. oaks are, are gone, right before, before late season. 
Oh yeah. If there, if there are some oaks, if there's red oaks on the ground or chestnut oaks, they'll hundred percent be, uh, be hitting them. Now, uh, I think that they eventually still go out to, you know, crop fields and stuff to probably prefer that over, you know, if there's a standing bean field somewhere, or, you know, a, a freshly cut corn field, they're going to, they're going to make their way to that late season, you know, if we're specifically talking about that, but they definitely will hit red oaks and chestnut oaks also. Um, yeah. It Do you have any other, other comments? Hill country in late season that they go to the oaks first and then they move over yeah. to the ground. So it's like they yeah. staged your way. Yep. Yeah, for sure. All right. Here's a pretty good question that I don't think anybody's ever asked before. Um, if you're going to be upwind of a bedding next to a field, how far do you try to loop without your scent being blown that direction? 300 yards, 500 yards. That's kind of what he's asking. Like it's how far away question. do you have to be? The answer as far as possible. Yeah. You know, um, that the answer to that would vary. And the, and the reason why is uh, deer have different tolerances and uh, they have different areas where they expect people. Like, um, I've got a spot where I walk upwind like 50 yards from buck bedding all the time and they don't have any phase. They still come out the same and everything else as long as I just pass by because it's a spot where people walk all the time. You know, look at when they bed alongside of a road, people walk up and down that road constantly. Right. So if you go to a spot where people don't walk regularly, where they don't expect people and you walk near a bedding area, then they're going to freak. So that distance varies, you know, cause I think they can pretty much tell where you're at when they smell you. Now there's one spot at Dave's farm where I like to hunt that's in the far corner. And I got to walk around a water system to get over there. And that means that if there's any kind of West wind, I got to have that West wind blow into the main bedding area. And, um, I get, I'm probably between 200 and 300, depending on exactly where they are bedded yards from the beds, maybe a little less, maybe 150 to 300 yards from the beds. And I have done it quite a few times where I've slipped through there. And what I do is I try to move as fast as possible and stay as far back as possible. Um, and then when I get up to the top, I'm, um, uh, I'm also thinking now, okay, the wind blew in there from the west, and I'm hunting to the south because I'm lo looping around, right? Mm -hmm. So it might have an effect on the deer coming to the south as long as I didn't blow them out of there, right? Right. But I have had an occasion or two where as I'm slipping to my uh, stand, I've had deer blow into bed in there, but it's only happened like twice ever. Most of the time when I do that, the deer just come in out like normal. I think uh, the times I've gotten blown at, they caught me accessing my stand. And I think they really wouldn't have normally. But they're alert because they smelt me. Make sense? Yeah. So they smelt me go past. And now they're like looking for danger. And then they, then they bust me. So if you do that, I think it's crucial that you're a little more careful in accessing where you're going to hunt. Um, but they're going to be expecting the danger to be coming from where they smelt it, not from the side or around them. Right. 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 
Yeah, they're probably not that. As long as they can't see you, they're not that smart to realize that you've walked around them or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I just try to go as far away from it as I can. <laughs> right, <laughs> You're going to be exactly. blown into it. I mean, that's all, that's so, all you can do. Yeah, right. All right. This this is the next question is um, one that I, I bet I bet I got asked a dozen times on that forum ban. So people wanted late season tips in the big woods. Late season tips in the big woods. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thick uh, and uh, cutovers. That would be yeah. the big one. They're gonna they're gonna gravitate to thick areas now. Deer kind of. Um, uh, to some degree, migrate in, in big, bigger woods areas, and they will go to um, food sources. So they will go to areas that have, you know, um, clear cuts that have saplings in them for them to eat, and they will um, move to that as soon as it's cold and as soon as it's uh, there's some snow on the ground. So that's what I would look for. I would look for, um, y- you know, um, thick cover near cutovers. Um, or within cut, cutovers, that'd be my biggest uh, thing about uh, big woods. And I wouldn't uh, lock myself into one. I'd look at several. I'd keep moving, you know, until I really got into some action. Yeah, and I, I mean, I haven't hunted a lot of big woods, but from what I've been told, is like you can find if you find the deer in the big woods, you, you could, there's liable to be a whole bunch of them. Right. Um, they're gonna they're gonna congregate around uh, the food sources. So it's a matter of finding that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times I, I assume in the big woods, you almost always have snow this time of year. So if you're not finding sign, I probably wouldn't stop scouting until you do. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. All right. Next question here. Do we process our own deer? Hmm. Do you? Oh yeah. Yep. We have a whole, everything you would need to butcher deer. We have, and we do all of our own. And I think we're the opposite on that. No, I did yeah. when I was your age. When I was your age, I uh, cut everything up myself, mm-hmm. um, process it all myself, uh, package it all myself. And um, nowadays, um, I don't want to lose that time, and I've got plenty of money, so yeah. I just drop them off at the butcher shop and and uh, keep hunting or keep doing whatever I'm doing. Yeah, I growing up. People. When I was little, uh, you know, I was like a tradition in our family was my grandpa had bought out a, uh, like a butcher shop had gone out of business or something. And he went to an auction and bought, you know, bought all their equipment essentially. And so I just, I don't know, it's almost like a nostalgic thing for me. Right. And it is uh, for a lot of people. And, and, you know, for me too, um, I do think that is part of the hunt, but me personally, um, there's something morbid about cutting up the meat and then eating it. It's just gross. Really? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. My mom used to. I would. Uh, I would kill deer and, and bring them home, and I'd be cutting them up, and I'd come in all bloody and you, yeah. you know, putting back straps on, and she'd be frying them, and it'd still be quivering in the pan. Yeah. yeah kind of weird. <laughs> I'd ra- I would rather uh, forget about cutting it up for a day or two and then eat it. You know. Yeah. But, uh, um. Definitely not bad. He said, "Can we make a video on how to process?" I guess I don't know if we actually can. I, I guess to give you like some, like some context, like my Ohio buck that I shot and I showed, I showed packing that out. That thing got demonetized for a while because of that. So we had to really be careful about what kind of stuff we 
I think you show. might be able to, but you have to. Um, it has to be like called it's a processing video because I, I don't yeah. think processing videos. Now, like Meat Hunter, they cut up meat and eat it. But every time yeah. we show a piece of meat or um, anything like that, yeah, or uh, packing a deer out or something, we get demonetized and we lose our uh, income off of it. But what we could do is if you want to do one special, um, you could do one on the Rumble channel. Yeah, something like that would, would work. Yeah, I might do that. Rumble I mean, wouldn't I'd... demonetize us. Yeah. Maybe if I shoot another one this late season, I'll I'll do a video of us processing it. For those that uh, don't know, too, um, both Josh and I have Rumble channels. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, don't make this, very much money off of them because everybody no. goes to YouTube. But we yeah. did that for people that uh, that want to take a stand against uh, uh, companies that uh, are, do what like, we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And demonetized. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Nah, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, everything's over there as well. It's uh, but I have thought too. I mean, there's some things too that uh, I'd like to do that they won't let us. Yeah, that, uh, you, you know, when I have more time, maybe during the summer, I'll do just on Rumble. Yeah. Uh, someone asked me to elaborate uh, on an instance where you asked for for some permissions. I, I don't know, guys. Like, sometimes I think it's just because of where I live is why I get so much permissions. Uh, and, it, like, if you would drive – I shouldn't even say this, but, like, if you probably would drive down here and ask the same people I ask, they'd probably tell you the same answer that I get, you know, yes or go ahead or whatever. Um, I think it's – I think permissions is very spotty throughout the country. You know, I think um, – like Dan said, up there, it seems like it's real hard to get permission on private, whereas down here, it's not that hard. Yeah, you know, you're not going to get on some supreme property, you know, or anything like that, but just a, a, you know, small acreages or fields and this and that. I don't have too much problem getting access to. Um, uh, now, something else I do is I, I also have, I worked in the agriculture industry before I started doing this full time and um, got to know a lot of farmers from when I worked in the feed milling industry. So I had a kind of an in there with people because I had a, if you can find some like relationship that you can build, whether that be, if you got some cows out back or something and be like, Oh, I saw you got some cows. I'm a cow farmer too, or whatever the case may be. All that little, little things like that can I help. Think, I think uh, offering to do something for somebody is, is, uh, yeah. You know, you're asking for something. Yeah. So if you offer something, you know, um, farmers work a lot for, for a little, I mean, yeah. if, you, if you went to a farmer um, and you said, uh, hey, I'm really looking for a place to hunt. And uh, before you say no, I'm willing to uh, come out here every other week for four hours and, and help you out, give you some time off or I can help you with the feeding or whatever you need done Yeah, you know, once every couple of weeks and uh, do that the summer if you'd allow me to hunt. I think that would go over way better than, hey, man, can I come kill your deer? You know, right. Just Right. Yep. No, that's a good point. And then also, if you say that, though, you need to follow up on it, you know. Um, and, you yeah. Actually <laughs> right, right. Don't do that and just ghost them for the rest of the summer, you know. Yeah. Um, but anyway. All right. Someone asked, uh, for late season, do you ever use snow camo? Oh, yeah, all the time. Because yeah, I hunt off the ground a lot in late season because I get busted out of trees a lot. So, yeah, 
Um, late season, I'm uh, on the ground a lot in snow camo. Yes. Yep. I don't. I don't even own snow camel. I don't think. I didn't used to. Uh, Carol bought me some. Um, just oh, some really? cheap stuff that just goes over the top of what you're wearing. Yeah. Um, I used to just uh, put on a white t-shirt over my uh, stuff and just get a really large white t-shirt. I used to uh, wear a white hat, you know, and mm -hmm. just blend it in different ways. I mean, you don't have to buy white camel. Um, right. Things that are white, you could just cut a head hole in a bed sheet, really. Um, yeah. You could. I mean, just cut a yeah, hole. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. You can you can put up uh, like a um, a bed sheet as a uh, blind and hunt behind it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Over the top yeah. of it. Um, you don't have to have snow camel, but it does help. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the comments saying they love snow camel. Works real real well. Someone asked uh, also, Dan, if, if you know when the next batch of beast stands are going to be available to purchase. Mm, you can ask that question a lot. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I'm, we've got them constantly being made. Um, honestly, um, Mario handles all of that. Mm -hmm. um, but we have them constantly being made and uh, we have stands constantly being processed and uh, we have batches that come in about once a month so um, maybe twice a month so I know he's done things to try and help people get stands like um, $5 to secure a spot uh, things like that um, but the best thing you can do is just get on the email list and whenever something changes, you get an email, and then you'll uh, you'll be the first to know, or the first, in the first group. And if you act on it right away, you should get a stand. Yeah. Um, but I believe he's been doing five dollar pre sales. But I think even the pre sales are booked up because he only wants to go out so far, so he doesn't have somebody angry at him if they have to wait too long. Um, right. But uh, um, that's what I would do: is get on the email list. Yep. We, we actually talked about having Mario on sometime soon again, just because he hasn't been on for a while. Yeah. Uh, which would be good. Anyway. All right. Um, someone asked, how long do you typically set during late season? Hmm. Uh, usually not long. Usually the last, uh, you know, a uh, couple hours of the day. Uh, I don't usually go out in the mornings days are pretty short um last couple hours they usually uh move the last hour but they usually move pretty good um a lot of times it's uh when it's really cold out i might even knock that down to an hour because uh you just get too frigid to even shoot by the time they come out so um uh, like if it gets uh like 10 below zero or or colder uh, sometimes i'll uh i won't go out to the to the last minute and try to time getting to the stand perfect because uh 
you freeze up, you have a really hard time pulling a bow back or getting anything done. Yeah. You and like, I'm really and you're a little warmer down there, aren't you? Yeah, we it's not bad. I mean, it was 55 out today. I mean, it, you know, yeah, well, we're not in can, what I would consider late season yet. We're kind of no. it is late season, but I mean, it's yeah. not cold that gets the deer moving, you know, like yeah, rain no. today. Yeah, well, for, for one, our season doesn't go as long as your guys's. You know, we, we're done at the beginning of January there, and then secondly, like you know, it could be it could be sixty degrees Christmas for us. You know, um, it, typically, you know, we do get a cold day or two, but it'll just be that, and then it'll warm back up. Uh, if we get snow, you know, we'll get a few inches here and there, and then the next day it's like fifty degrees and snow melts. So uh, it's pretty pretty rare to have a um, you know, a cold snowy hunt for us. Now this year in November, we did have for opening day of rifle, we did have snow on the ground for, for that, which is, I can't remember the last time that happened. Um, but it's pretty cool for the guys that got to hunt there. I was in Ohio, but, uh, I know a lot of people heading in the snow that day. All right, let's see here. This was a good one that, and this is the last question we have here. So if you guys have questions, keep asking them in the comments here. I see a couple other ones to get to. Um, but someone wanted to have Dan look back at any specific bucks you killed with a bow in late season and kind of tell us about them. And Dan, the, you can tell whatever one you want, but I had that one in my mind that you guys killed with Mario. I think Mario was hunting with you in the Conservancy. Mm -hmm. You killed that late, late in the year. Yeah, that was actually in January, I believe. I think it was yep. January 14th I shot that buck. Um, that one, uh, we cut that buck's tracks, and it had a huge track. I mean, that was one of the biggest, probably in the top 10 biggest tracks I ever ever saw. Um, it was a real big track, and it was coming in and out of some areas, and I kind of, me and Mario both kind of figured out where it was bedding, and we were kind of working on it. And uh, in the conservancy that we were in, you draw for spots and I had one spot and he had another and they were side by side and the deer was kind of like betting on the line. So he was going to hunt on one side and I was going to hunt on the other. And, uh, with his schedule, I didn't really even know he was out there the day that I went out there. Um, but I was waiting for the right wind and stuff. And I, I went in there and, uh, just based on the tracks coming out, I kind of figured the direction of travel he was going and uh, set up on him and he came in and I killed him. Um, it was it was pretty basic once we figured out where he was. But uh, we were able to track that deer down and not spook him because uh, they have hiking trails back there that people walk. You know, mm -hmm. like nature lovers and tree huggers and stuff. And uh, as long as we stayed on that trail, the deer never figured out that we we're hunters, right? They, they're used to people being on there. So I was able to look at his tracks that way and uh, see where they were coming on, coming off and stuff. And uh, and I had a pretty good guess where he was bedded and I was right. And then uh, set up based on that and, and killed him. There you go. I've never killed a buck late season. So that we have that a video of that hunt up. Yeah. So, um, I think uh, the, that video and the video before it, and the reason I say the video before it, because the video before it leads into it. Um, I think I shoot a doe on the video before it or something, but then we cut those tracks. And then uh, I think we cut those tracks going in to get the doe or something. That's, my memory's getting foggy. 
Um, but we cut those tracks and then I said, uh, let's go get that buck. And then in the next video, we, we, we killed it. Um, yeah. Which is pretty cool. And Mario almost killed a good buck on the same hunt. Yeah. It, uh, they came out in a group. Because like I said, in late season, they group up a lot. And they were acting a little spooky. I don't know if they got a tinge of one of us or, or something. Um, and uh, the big buck veered off and went my way. And the rest of them were going around Mario. And almost in his shooting lane when I shot mine. And I was unaware there was Mario was even there. And uh, those uh, those bucks went by him. And then the big one ran after I shot. It was running past him, and he he had full he had he had it in his sights, and he yelled to stop it, and it didn't stop, and he didn't shoot, and, uh, mm. but it ran right past him. So we almost got a double, yep. which yep. is common. Yeah, I mean, those late season hunts, a lot of times, um, a lot of bucks come out. You know, you know, if you're in a good area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It's a good hunt. Go over the hunting beast, and you can find it there. Um, I may go back and look for it on the channel. I can just I put it in the description of the video after we're done. Um, There's another one I shot um, back when our season used to end, uh, like on New Year's Day or whatever it was. Um, it was uh, 1992. Um, I had a buck I was hunting uh, on 11 pointer that was bedding up on this hill, and he would come down this hill, and uh, he was bedding there on a consistent basis. And uh, he was coming out real late, and I think he knew he was being hunted, and I'd kind of hop around and try and cut him off. And uh, on the last day of the season, we had uh, – uh, it was supposed to be, like, with the wind chills, like 60 below if you're in the wind. There was uh, yeah. advisories against not going to work and stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, back in those days, uh, I had a, a wooden-limbed bow that was laminated. Mm -hmm. and I would take it in and out with me and uh, you can see where this is going, right? So the limbs are freezing up and I don't know nothing mm -hmm. about that kind of stuff, but limbs freezing, this is, you know, it's 1992. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that buck came in and was going underneath me right at closing time. So it's literally the um, last couple minutes of the last day of the season. And when he was coming underneath me, I went to pull that bull back and I couldn't pull it back. It was like locked. From the cold my mm. muscles are locked and the bow's heavier from the cold right yeah and i and i was like this deer's gonna get away with it for me so i yanked with all my might and the bow made out this incredible creaking noise and cracking noise and shards of ice were flying out of it and that deer just like locked up looked up at me like what the heck and i got that thing to full draw and i shot and the arrow came out like in slow motion because the bow had no power because the limbs are frozen. Yeah. And Arrow just barely hit it and hit it like going kind of wobbly. Mm -hmm. And I got about uh, eight inches of penetration, but hit it right in the liver. And uh, I ended up uh, jumping that buck by tracking him too soon. Yep. And ended up having to follow him like five miles. Mm. I ended up getting him the next day. I found him and... Uh, I think we had to have them registered by five o'clock the day after season yeah. like that. And I got them to registration like in a nick of time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Look at this, Dan. Jerry Tucker said he heard a potential world record whitetail was shot in Western Minnesota this morning. 
Mm. Speaking of world record whitetail, I have a correction for you. I got a call from uh, Kevin at the Deer Hunter podcast this afternoon. He said, let Dan know that he does not believe that the Mitchell Impala buck is a real, uh, the real world record. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kevin. He was listening you know to what? the show. You know what? I got a call from Kevin. That must have been what it was about. And I missed it. And I was going to call him back. Now I know. Oh, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was, I was out working. Dan, I, I thought, I thought he said he believed it. I'm sorry. No, no, no. He, I apologize, yeah. Kevin. I he has a, uh, sense than that. I, I talked to him for a while today. He has a four part series on that buck that he did. He, he, I guess he interviewed like some of, uh, Mitch Rampala's, uh, you know, old friends and, um, a game warden in that area or something. Uh, I guess he, I guess it's his four different separate podcasts he did with uh, different people in that area or people that are close to that. Um, yeah, I knew he there's did a lot. lot of research on it. Oh man, yeah, sounds like it. Uh, anyway, I he, he was just laughing. Doesn't believe in it. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize, Kevin. Uh, no, he just wanted me to give you a hard time. I promised him I would. So, all right, let's look. Let's look here. Um, give me one second here. Make sure there's no more questions at the end. All right, let's just look at these, Dan, real quick. Because this is a guy that's new to Eli. It's new. He's new to public land. Said the area I hunt is a is a designated wild wilderness area. Um, it's all mature big timber, no clear cuts, uh, no clear cutting, thinning, control burns, etc. Where do you typically find deer in these scenarios? Uh, areas that are naturally thick. So I'd probably look at uh, bottom land. You know, um, I'd study your uh, maps of the area for openings, especially uh, river bottom openings. Um, smaller, thicker areas where there's little swamps that are in there. Um, if, if it's pretty much contiguous the same type of terrain everywhere i would look for the lowest elevations and the highest elevations and your deer are going to be one or the other there you go eli all right we've been on here for an hour that's about how much i said i'd, I'd get on tonight so everybody have a good uh, rest of your week we'll probably see you um thursday again and yeah, good luck if you're going to go hunting this week. See everybody later. Thanks, everybody.